the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God had been preparing the children of Israel to enter into the Promised Land, but once they entered and dwelt in the land, they were to continue to love God above all else and to do what God had commanded them to do. The Israelites were to be a unique people, different from the surrounding nations. Moses had finished delivering the first of many final addresses to the people of Israel, challenging them to continue with the Lord. Now Moses gathered together the nation's leaders in front of the congregation to charge the people to continue to walk with God into the Promised Land. We left off seeing the importance of God's people quieting themselves and gathering together in His presence. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 9. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And so even if the church has problems, it's still the church. It's still the church. The apostles said otherwise. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, it says, When you get saved, you're brought to something. He says here, for you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. And he's referring back to Sinai when God appeared on Sinai and the whole mountain caught on fire because of his presence. He says, Jesus didn't bring you to that. But verse 22 says of Hebrews 12, you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Interesting part about verse 23, when it says the general assembly there, it means the public gathering. That's what it means. I didn't write it. Paul did, or whoever wrote Hebrews did. Spoilers. The public gathering, whether it's doing well or not, it's still the church. It's interesting, five of the seven churches who received letters from Jesus in Revelation, they were rebuked. They weren't doing well. But each is given a promise if they'll repent and overcome. None of them were abandoned. Even Laodicea, which made Jesus want to vomit, he still told them, he said, repent. Be zealous and repent. As many as I love, I rebuke. True believers love the church. And here's why. It's not because the church is easy to love, but because the church is loved by the one who is easy to love. You know, I tell people all the time, I say, the church has issues. Calvary Chapelando has issues. We have things we need to do better, things we can grow in. You're all here, so it's not perfect yet. I'm in it. It never will be perfect. But Jesus is here. Promised he wouldn't leave us or forsake us. And he's never failed any of us. So we can't abandon the church. Our bond together, whether we're doing great or not, or whether we have a lot to improve on or not, our bond together allows us to lay all of our worries at his feet. You know, stop lugging burns around. Like, you know, take heed. Lay it down, man. Be quiet. Stop talking and start listening. You're the people of God. 
Being together like this allows us to lay those worries at his feet, to stop lugging around burdens that we aren't meant to carry and aren't able to carry, to be content in the fact that I am a child of the creator of the universe and he holds my life in his loving hands. Having told them to stop talking and focus on that important truth, he urges them, Moses and the leaders, the spiritual leaders, urges them and, in a sense, us to do what God says. Verse 10, Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God. You're his people. You're his kids. So obey the voice of the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day. In light of your relationship with God, which is a more important truth than the reality of any challenges you face, he says, obey God's voice. Do his commandments. In contrast to obeying your worries and your fears, the word there, obey, it means to listen to something, to pay attention to something. Instead of giving all your heart and mind to those things, your worries and your fears, give your heart and your mind to God's voice, what he says, his word. And do, act on what you focused on. Do his commandments, his statutes. We've been covering those words all throughout this book. We learned that those words refer to God's will, God's heart, God's standards. Act on those. Philippians 4, we read it in our scripture reading. I really think it's the New Testament exhortation of, of verses 9 and 10 here because it says the same exact thing. It says, be anxious for nothing. With thankfulness, by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. And I love the end of it because there's a promise there to those that would do that. He says, in the peace of God, which passes all understanding. I never understood what passes all understanding meant, but it means it's better than understanding it. The word passes means superior. It's better than understanding. So many times you God, I wish you'd just show me what you're doing. He goes, I can, but I have something better for you. I have a peace that's better than knowing what's going on. Because honestly, if God told me what he was going to do half the time, I'd probably panic more. I'm just being honest with you. So he says, I have something better for you. I have a peace that will keep your heart and your mind through Christ, no matter what. Think on things that are true, honest, just, pure, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Stay there. Same thing he's telling them here. So are we living that out? And do we renew our commitment to it regularly? Say, Lord, take my mind today and I'm not going to let it wander. I'm not going to let fear and worry consume me. I'm going to think on your word and I'm going to live it out. Do we make that commitment regularly? Let's do that. We get down to verse 11, back here in Deuteronomy 27, to Moses' multiple speeches in the same day. Now he gives him a charge, a new charge. He's told him what to do. You got to make these stones on Mount Ebal. And then priests come up and they urge him to quit murmuring, quit complaining or whatever it is, quit being worried and to remember they're God's people and to recommit themselves. And so verse 11, now we see the seriousness of that recommitment. It says, and Moses charged the people, same word as commanded in verse one. He gave him some new instructions. He charged the people the same day saying, these shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you are come over Jordan. Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Joseph and Benjamin. So those six tribes, they're going to stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when they come into the land. And then verse 13 says, these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse. And it's six other tribes, Reuben, Gad, Asher, and Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Here we see this is a different event that's going to occur when they get into the land. Six tribes are going to stand on one hill, Mount Ebal. We already talked about that. Mount Gerizim is there's a valley down there by Mount Ebal, and down the right opposite of it, south of it, is Mount Gerizim. So you have Mount Ebal up here, and just south of it is Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal up here, and Mount Gerizim down here. And the valley that runs through there, it's a pretty important valley because all the traffic, all the merchandise, everything went through 
that valley. The city of Shechem lies at the end of the valley. And the reason you may have heard the city of Shechem before is because it was important. Whoever controlled that city controlled all the merchandise traffic. So that was not a city for the weak to rule. That was usually the strongest and the best controlled that merchandise crossing. And so I love how Moses picks one of the strongest spots in all of the promised land as the place where they need to do all these things. But he says, okay, you got to go through Jericho and there may be a couple other places, but I want you to do all this stuff here. And again, if I'm the military commander, I'm going, that's Shechem. That's one of the hardest places it's going to be for us to beat. And you want us to get there and throw a party? Oh, we're going to read the Bible and celebrate. Yay, you know. Meanwhile, they're all killing us. But that's what the Lord tells them to do. Moses tells them to do. Because Israel's going to have to defeat Shechem before they can do this. But you know what I love about that? It's almost like Moses is saying, I know you're going to win. So after you win, do this. Because to do this, you're going to have to beat them. So I know you're going to win. And do you know you're going to win? Like, do you know that in your life? Philippians 1.6 says that he will, he will finish what he starts in you. He'll complete the work that he started in you until that day, until the day he calls you home, the day that he appears, the day you stand before him. He's going to finish the work. It's a promise. You might look down and go, I'm not going to make it, Will. I'm here to tell you, you're going to win. See, how do you know for sure? It's just one verse. Look at Jude 24 and 25 with me, because this one always gets me, because I frequently look at my life, and maybe not so much anymore, but I used to a lot, and think, I don't know if God's big enough to fix my mess. But this is what the Bible says. In Jude 24, there's no chapters in Jude, there's just one, it's a, kind of like a postcard. And so verse 24, it says, it closes out, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Guys, he's going to present you faultless before his throne and not with embarrassment. You know, he's not going to be like, hey, Dad, uh, I know know, everybody else has been great to meet all these other wonderful people that got saved and... Here's Will. We kind of have to let him in. You know, we made a promise. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, just get this over with before it gets any worse. That's not how it's going to go. He's going to do it with exceeding joy. Faultless. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling. I'm I'm not going to not make it. I'm going to win. And if you're in Christ, you will too. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. Now, what are they going to do there? Well, one group on the mountains, they're going to bless. The word there means to invoke God's divine favor upon the nation. And the other group is going to curse. It's words that invoke divine harm upon the nation. So six tribes will stand on Mount Ebal and six on Grisham. They will not actually utter the blessings and the curses, but the Levites will stand in the valley and do that. Look at verse 14. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, they're going to have to, to be heard, And then it starts here in verse 15 with the curses. So the Levites would proclaim the blessings that would come with obeying God. And then the one group would say, amen, every time he'd list out a blessing. If you do this, God will do this. He'll bless you. And and blessed will you be in the land. And and he'll say, amen, in the whole mountain. And then when the curses are being uttered like here, that other side will go, amen. You know, so be it. That's what amen means. It means it's truth. We're all in. We agree. So they're renewing that commitment. And interestingly, the curses actually come first, and that's all we're going to get into tonight, so I'm going to leave you with some curses. (laughs) Cursed be the man that makes any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, 
the work of the hands of the craftsmen and puts it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, amen. You know, I, I think it's interesting because people say that men created God, whatever God it was, you know, whether it's Christian God, whatever, that all religions came about because men created God to control other men. In the case of idols, I can't disagree with that. That is true. But that's not the case with the Lord. He's the living God. He doesn't need our help to control anybody. He can do that anytime he wants. But he loves us, and he wants a relationship with us, so he gives us a choice. He says, you can choose to be controlled, or you can choose to surrender. It's two different things. And so he calls me, says, you know, if a man's going to choose to be controlled, then my curse will rest upon that man. And people say, all right, we're all in. We're good with that. Next, verse 16, cursed be he that sets light by his father or mother. It just means to dishonor or lightly esteem your father or mother. It's interesting, when I was a teenager, I was trying to figure out what it meant to honor my parents because we all got saved around the same time. And so that can create some difficulties when you're kind of on the same growth trajectory spiritually as your dad. And you could do some really wicked, immature things as a teenager because you think you know it all. And so I would hit him with scripture here and there, whatever times. I was probably a real pain in the neck at times. I had to figure out what this meant because I knew I probably wasn't doing it. And I learned early on that to honor your parents, it means to value them. To value them, what they say, what they think, the input into their lives. They have boundaries. You value those boundaries, whether you agree with them or not. And so if you have parents still, or you're living with parents, do you value them? Do you value them? Well, next... And he said, amen, right on. I'm sure all the parents were all in on that one. Maybe the, like the, the kids were probably like, amen, amen. But I'm pretty sure mom and dad were amen. And verse 17, next, cursed be he that removes his neighbor's landmark. I pray this upon my neighbor all the time. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Removing your neighbor's landmark was such a big deal. These would be the borders of your land. It might be a wall or it might be a rock that shows where your land was. And you have to remember, every Israelite would get an inheritance from God that could never permanently change hands. Even if you had to sell it off for a period of time, it always reverted back to the original owner at different periods in Israel's history. Altering that inheritance was deliberately taking what God gave to someone else and stealing it. And so the Lord says, ah, oh, thievery? No, that's, that's a no-no. That's part of the Ten Commandments. And everybody said... Amen. Next, for taking advantage of the disadvantage. He said, cursed be he that, this is horrible stuff. Cursed be he that makes the blind to wander out of the way. Hey, I'm sorry, sir, I can't see. Where's the grocery store? <laughs> it's over there, buddy. <laughs> no way, that's horrible. And all the people shall say, amen. Cursed be he that perverts the judgment of the stranger. So first off, you have some individual responsibility here, and then you have judicial basically responsibility for those who are disadvantaged. If you're going to pervert the justice, the word pervert comes from a word that means to bend. So if you're going to bend the rules or deny justice to a foreigner, it says here, a stranger, or an orphan, the fatherless, or the widow, he says, cursed are you. And all the people said, amen. You know, it's interesting, both verses deal with individuals who will need assistance to survive. They need help from others. And, you know, God is near to those folks. He is sensitive to their needs. Take advantage of someone like that or mistreat someone like that for your own benefit. That's, that's totally opposite of how the Lord is. And it will bring about his judgment. Neglecting those with special needs or taking advantage of those with special needs is in almost every list of why God judged Israel. Like every time God brought judgment, he almost always brings up this. So let's be a people who serve those with special needs. And all the people said, all right, you're all in. 
Verse 20, cursed be he that lies. We're gonna go through some of these quick because I don't wanna dwell on them too much. Cursed be he that lies with his father's wife. That would be a stepmother, not mom. And why? Because he uncovers his father's skirt. And all the people shall say amen. Cursed be he that lies with any manner of beast. And all the people shall say amen. Cursed be he that lies with his sister, the daughter of his father. So this would be a stepsister. Or the daughter of his mother, still stepsister. And all the people shall say amen. Cursed be he that lies with his mother-in-law, for sure, amen. They all have to do with sexual sin. And, and the first one, I think, is, is interesting because it talks about uncovering your father's skirt. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4, you can look it up later, but it talks about how the wife's body doesn't belong to her but to her husband, and vice versa. Husband's body doesn't belong to him but to his wife. And so you don't get to do whatever you want with your body anymore. And that's why, and referring to the sexual relationship, why there, there should be tenderness there, gentleness, there should be kindness, there should be understanding, it should be a loving thing and and not a thing that you punish each other with or withhold or do something that makes the other person uncomfortable. Those verses describe the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife, but it describes it as where I don't belong to myself. Selfishness is gone. And so the idea is, is since this man's wife belongs to him in that sense, not slave, but in the sense that they've pledged their lives to each other. Then uncovering your father's garments then would be synonymous with removing your stepmother's clothing. And so that's why he says, that's what that is. You don't do that. You're doing something that doesn't belong to you. And that's, in each one of these cases, you're crossing a boundary that should never be crossed. Sexual purity is important to God because he designed sex to be a physical, emotional, and spiritual act that unites a married couple. Violating that special blessing or reducing it to either just an emotional act or just a physical act, it does permanent damage to us because we're not wired that way. Sometimes it does physical damage, which is why we have diseases around, but it always causes emotional and spiritual damage. And in that sense, sex is, is similar to food. You know, it's a wonderful thing God created to be enjoyed by us, but under the right terms. If you abuse consuming food, it's going to have negative effects. And if you disobey God with sex, it will also have negative effects. So cursed be those that do so. Verses 24 and 25 deal with violence. It says, cursed be he that smites his neighbor secretly. Murder one. And all the people shall say amen. Cursed be he that takes reward to slay an innocent person. And the idea here is judicially, again, so this would be judicial corruption, where you're, you have the ability to either let someone go free or pronounce a death penalty upon them, and you take a bribe to basically either do it to someone who doesn't deserve it or don't do it to someone who does deserve it, where justice should be done. And either way, it says you'll be cursed, and everybody said Amen. You know, God calls us to love one another, not to harm each other. And I would say if you're in a position of authority or trust, don't use it to harm others. Don't take advantage of them, but use it to bless them. Lastly, cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this law to do them. The word there means, confirms, means that they don't hold it in high status. They don't make it important to them. And I would say this, for most of us, If we're struggling with obeying God, it doesn't stem from, like, I hate God or desire even to do wrong. I'm going to wake up and do evil today. If you struggle obeying God or when I struggle obeying God, it comes from not giving God's commands a high enough priority in my life. That's what it comes from. With my kids, we have something I've dealt with them from the youngest of age. So they have a responsibility, chore, whatever, homework, whatever it might be, and we say, hey, you need to do this this way, whatever. And 
what do your kids often tell you when they fail to do that? What is one of the most common things you will hear from them? Mom and dad, I forgot. I have seen some interesting ways parents respond to that. And I'm not saying you should never be gracious at times because I forget things at times. I want to be merciful because I need mercy. But as a general rule, this is how I answer that response. I say, you didn't forget. You didn't make it important enough. Now you might go, man, you're a harsh dad. If it seems harsh to you, it's not because we're trying to be unreasonable as parents. We're trying to teach them to make obedience a top priority. If you have a teacher that gives you a lesson or you have a command from God or if mom and dad have boundaries or rules that we set out, we try to explain to them immediately that I forgot at some level means you didn't make it a priority. And I want my kids to make God's commands a priority because isn't that what loving God supremely means? You know, that we make our relationship with him our top priority. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So let's be a people that love God supremely. Let's not be a people that, well, I know that's what I need to do. And I'm not saying beat yourself up when you fail. That's not my point. My point is, let's make God's commands top priority. Amen? That's what we can say amen to. This passage here, it's all about Israel renewing the covenant that, you know, that, that their forefathers made. Now this new generation, they're going to renew it. That's another reason, by the way, that Deuteronomy is the name of this book, Second Law. It's their second commitment. They're renewing their commitment to God. So does the New Testament say anything like that? about renewing our commitment to God? It sure does. In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, brethren, I beseech you, because of all the mercy God's shown you, present your body a living sacrifice. Now, that's a one-time thing. It's an aorist tense in the Greek, which means it's a snapshot. It's an event that must take place in our life where we just come to God and we say, Lord, I'm saved, I'm your child, but I, now I surrender everything to you. If you've never done that before, you need to have a time in your life where you do that. But it also says in Romans, it says, Yield yourselves, your members, unto God as instruments to be used for righteousness. And that word yield is not in interest. It's in present continual. So yes, our surrender to God is something that needs to happen at some point in our life, whether the day you get saved or maybe a period later. Either way, we need to have that time in the moment where we drive that stake. But our lives are to be a continual, regular surrender to God. And so just as Israel needed to renew their commitment to the Lord, my prayer for us tonight is that we would be exhorted and we take away from here that we would make that a regular part of our lives to surrender to God. Let's all stand. Lord, what better time than now to renew that commitment in our own hearts to say we surrender to you. You said in your word, Hebrews 2, it says that you know, we drift. And it's easy to do. that we get uh, The filth of the world gets all over our feet. And like Jesus, he said he needed to wash the disciples' feet. They didn't need a bath. They didn't need to be saved again, but they needed to have their feet washed. And Lord, we need that. And, and coming with that kind of comes also kind of our renewal, renewal of our commitment to be yielded to you to present our bodies not just in that one time as a living sacrifice, but regularly to yield areas of our lives to you and surrender to renew our commitment to you. And so we do that right now. Whether it's a specific thing that you're, you know, we're thinking of right now or just you know, recommitting our lives, we say, Lord, we recommit our lives to you. We choose to be obedient to you this week, to love you supremely, to make you a t- our top priority. And so, Lord, I pray now for everyone who's making that commitment that as they read your word throughout the week, as you're moving in their hearts by your spirit, that you fill them with strength so that they can do the thing that they commit to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We must make obedience to God a priority. We do not have the same curses and blessings that were given to Israel, but the principles still apply that obedience in God's word is the best choice. He knows better than us what we need and how things will work out. We are called to trust and obey. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. 
we would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.